Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to the weekend Buckeye Talk. Doug Lamarie, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, and joined by a special guest, Anthony Tresh of PFF, who has ranked the best players at every position in college football, which is like catnip. It is so wonderful. Uh, Anthony, I feel like I was going to put out an APB to the world to say, will someone please help me put Thayer Munford in context? I know he's good. I have no idea how good. And your rankings fell from the sky and help me do this. There are six Buckeyes that are ranked among the top 10 players at their positions in college football. According to your rankings, we're going to talk about all of them, but Anthony, First of all, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And and these rankings are always interesting because there's so many players in college football. And I I think sometimes it's hard for people to grasp that there are so many players at these positions. Just because a guy is maybe like 15th or 12th and didn't quite make the top 10, it doesn't mean they're bad players. But, you know, like you said, with Ohio State having as many guys as they did, that is quite impressive. And listen, I mean, you guys, everybody knows PFF. If you don't know PFF, you should. They do NFL stuff. They do college stuff. Anthony, you are like the lead guy on a lot of the college stuff. Listen, man, NFL, easy. 32 teams. That's that's child's play. You're trying to rank the top 10 out of 130 teams because we know, right? Eh, there's going to be a lot of Bama and Clemson, Ohio State guys. But if there's a if there's a North Texas guy in there, I mean, if there's a if there's a Tulsa guy in there, you got to put him in there. So before we get started, like, how do you even begin the process of this? I know PFF has rankings on everybody, but like what what's it like when you try to take on a project like this? Yeah, so I mean, first things first, I kind of just go with at first I kind of know go with what I know, write the names down that I know are going to be up there. And then I dive into our database that is contracted out to all 32 NFL teams and a broad majority of the Division One programs in college football. And I kind of analyze all of these guys' PFF grades, their wins above average, which is basically war for football, which our guys have developed here at PFF. Um, and wins above average is war for the collegiate level since you can't really pick up a free agent off the street like you can in the NFL. And so I just get all of that data there, pull the positives, and that kind of helps you know, filter through there, but sometimes you'll get some guys that, you know, the injuries kind of bite on them and their small sample, they kind of slide through the cracks that you have to find in there. And then I go through and watch them on with our database. And this is what the teams really love is that you can pair all of the data up with the film and pull it up instantly within seconds. And so that's how the process kind of comes together to draft up this, this list. Um, and then kind of go and contact my guy too, Seth Galina also works here at PFF. We kind of chat about it, you know, get another opinion in there. To, you know, kind of debate on some of these guys. And that's how everything's kind of born. But it does take a lot of time. That's for sure. And like you said, if there's someone from Tulsa, I mean, on the interior offensive line, our number two guy, he's a guard from Marshall, Kane Madden, who's actually transferring. Um, I, I haven't looked into where he might be going. But, you know, it's just, you know, it's situations like that where it's always important to incorporate, you know, every school, not just the, the Ohio States, the Clemsons and Bamas of the world. Listen, we, we subscribe to PFF here. We use your data for a lot of stuff. You got like a password you can share, though, on that film stuff? 
Just send that along so Ooh. we can take a, take a peek at I that stuff, too. I wish I could. I wish I could. The big boss would probably have it talking to me if I did that. I, I probably shouldn't have asked for the password on the podcast, right? That's kind of an off mic thing that I should have. Hey, hey, send that along. All right, we're not, you know, we're not trying to get you fired, Anthony, because I mean, if if we get you fired, we'll have no context for any of this. So, Stephen, listen, we're gonna get we uh, we've talked about it a million times that Chris Olave is number one and Garrett Wilson is number two in the PFF receiver rankings. Stephen, we're gonna get to that. I promise we will get to that. So, is it okay if we don't start with it though? I think it's a good thing to end with because I mean, it's like the bit, it's like dessert, right? You don't eat dessert before you eat dinner. So let's end with the most obvious discussion where I can have a heart attack about why Garrett Wilson is not number one on that list, but we'll get into that later. Yes. Let's start everywhere else. Anthony, just so you know, Steven is a Garrett Wilson addict. So we, a lot of it, it it permeates the podcast, you know, not that he's the only one, Um, but Garrett Wilson knows I'm a Garrett Wilson addict. That's how bad it is. Yeah. Yeah, so he's. The- our, I will say our lead draft analyst, Mike Renner, big Garrett Wilson fan. It's, there was one route he ran his true freshman season where I was talking to him. And he said, "This guy's gonna be the first wide receiver off the board in 2022." I mean, this guy's been right from the get go, mm-hmm. and with Garrett Wilson. So I think you got another member of that fan club. Nice. All right, we'll have to. We'll have. Listen, we'll have Stephen, Mike, and Garrett. We'll have everybody on together, and Stephen and, and Mike can just take turns asking Garrett questions about why he's so great. But I want to start, Nathan, I, I, I have trouble with this. I, before we ask Anthony about it, Nathan, I want to ask you, like, we know Thayer Munford's good, right? But I have been, and Anthony, we've talked about this on the pod. I still often am influenced by recruiting rankings, right? And I'm influenced like that Thayer Munford. He had some, you know, he transferred schools. I think that affected his recruiting rating a little bit. He was kind of a late add to the class. He was a better player than his recruiting ranking was. But Nathan, I just have trouble sometimes. Pete Warner is a guy that I would compare Thayer Munford to. I know they're good, but I'm not sure how good. Nathan, do you have that trouble with a guy like Thayer Munford, or do you have a handle on him? No, I think I definitely do. And I it's because it's a position. Even sometimes, I guess, a, a tackle, a left tackle, they'll go out and they'll do things that you just can't ignore, right? I mean, Orlando Pace did things on a football field you can't ignore, and that's we can't always compare everybody to Orlando pace, but that's the one that jumps to mind, but certainly guys who are even less left tackles than, than Orlando pace will do that. And with Thayer Mumford, it's more just about this, this steadiness, right? Like I don't, I don't remember a lot of times where he'll go out and do something that has people in the press box, like looking at each other, like, man, did you just see that guy get destroyed? It's more about just this, this consistent churn of doing his job, at an excellent level because you also don't ignore, you don't notice him. I don't think that was true in 2019. I thought there were times who noticed him in a negative way in 2019. He was still going through a lot of back problems that hadn't been fully corrected yet. That season never really got started for him the way he wanted. And I thought he kind of gutted it out and did his best fully healthy in 2020. He became like, if you're not going to have a guy out there flattening people like Orlando Pace, he became almost like the next best thing at left tackle, which is like, you just never thought about him because that blind side was was protected completely. You know, you never saw somebody bearing down on Justin Fields because Thayer Mumford didn't do his job. It was just a, 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 consi- a level of consistency that you don't often see. So, but that is some, somewhat hard to quantify when you start talking about like, well, okay, but what does that make him nationally? How does that compare to everybody else in the country that's doing their job? And nationally, Anthony, it makes him the number one tackle in the country. It was the number one reason I wanted you on this podcast. How did you arrive at that ranking of Thayer Munford as the best college football tackle? Yeah, I mean, you guys are exactly right there. In that, in 2018, 2019, there were some times where you noticed some negatives in there, and he was a decent starter for the Buckeyes. And this past season, I, I, well, I came into the season expecting him to produce at a good enough level. I was not expecting him to produce at the level he did, which was, you know, top five in all of college football and stacking it up against the guys that are returning. He's, he has the highest PFF grade of anybody. And I thought the thing that really stood out to me was just the blitz and stunt recognition. I mean, he was absolutely yeah, almost nearly flawless in pass protection over the course of the whole season, isolating to his true pass sets too, which are the most stable aspect of offensive lineman play. So taking out the screens, the RPOs, play actions. Um, and he was just remarkably just consistent. And you never noticed very, very few cons throughout the year. So he was just the model consistency of excellent play all year long and just the most well-rounded returning tackle. I think there is 
you know, I was kind of surprised to hear that a lot of people didn't really agree with him being number one. And I think some of that has to do just with that past background. You know, they're not hyped right from the get-go. Um, but, you know, you look, you stack him up against everybody else in college football. I think he is the best by far. And I think the only guys that might catch him um, maybe Peter Skronsky of Northwestern. He was great as a true freshman last season. Jamari Sawyer, um, Georgia tackle. I think those are two guys that come to mind. But I, I think by you know the end of 2021, I think he's still going to be holding that top spot pretty comfortably. I wrote a lot. We talked a lot before the Ohio State-Penn State game early last year about Shaka Tony and Jason Owe. And then in that game, it felt like Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit like just shut them down and they didn't do anything. And, and we've talked about this a lot in the pod. We've joked about that, like every time you saw a Rashawn Slater highlight before this past draft or you saw any photo, it was him blocking Chase Young from Northwestern Ohio State. So it's like, hey, look, you did well against a good guy, right? So that helped, I think, make Rashawn Slater's reputation. Although, of course, he did well every other game. The idea that like, hey, Jason Owe was a first round pick in this most recent NFL draft. And like, I sort of had a negative opinion of him going into the draft because I was like, hey, remember when he played Ohio State and they he did nothing? He did nothing. And NPF and Munford just handled him all game. The Big Ten does have some decent edge rushers. That is one of the positions where they get guys through. George Karloftis will be a guy that Petit Frere and Munford get to go against in the 2021 season from Purdue. Like, was that, how much does that matter in your evaluation when, you know, I mean, Munford did, I think, go up against some decent guys and handled his business. Yeah, and it's it's funny you bring up that game because that I think that was the kind of the turning moment that I I, was, I thought about both of these guys, both Thayer Munford and Nicholas Petit Ferrer, just because I remember I think I was filling in that week on uh, one of our podcasts here, two for one, with uh, Mike Renner and Austin Gale, our two draft analysts, and I was filling in for Mike talking with Austin, and I remember heading into that game, it was a couple of days before, and I said, man, I'm really nervous for these Ohio State tackles and Justin Fields because they have J- Shaka Tony and Jason Owe, and you look at Petit Ferrer. You know, what he did in his lone start in 2019, it was really, really bad. I mean, he did have – he does have the, you know, the five-star pedigree uh, or pedigree there. Um, but he just really struggled in that one outing. And I was really concerned with him going into there, especially with those two Penn State edge rushers against Indiana, which was either the week before, a couple of weeks before, just absolutely fried those tackles. At the end of the game, Michael Penix Jr. seemed like he was press, under pressure play after play. And they, like you said, they completely shut him down, almost blanked him from a pressure perspective. I think they might have actually. Um, and from there on out, it, it was just, you know, dominance every single week. And, and I think that was, you know, like I said, the turning point for the, both of those guys. So we're talking about college level of play right now and that he is the best returning tackle in college football. That a lot of that translates to NFL draft potential, but it's also not the exact same thing. Right. We know that. But do you think and then this is Nathan and Stephen, I don't know what the answer to the question. This question is, I am so excited to hear the answer to this because he is the number one tackle in college football on this list. Do you think he'll be a first round pick? Like if he plays in 2021 the way he played in 2020, he's an older guy, but he's going to be a four year starter in college. He has had back surgeries, right? He has some medical things in his past. But what do you think he will be like as a as a draft prospect, assuming his level of play is about the same? Yeah, you know, I, I think this season's going to kind of dictate that a lot because there's one game that I'm looking forward to the most, and that's against Oregon and Kayvon Thibodeau, who's going to be a top five pick, if not a top three pick. And this guy is I, – I don't want to say he's going to be a Chase Young type of player because I th- he wasn't there quite yet um, his first two years as an underclassman. but. I think he has the potential and the traits to be that kind of dominant player. And if he can shut him down, I think that's going to catapult him into first round conversation, no matter what happens. And I think, you know, Boy and Mafe, I think that's going to be a good warm up for him early on in the season two, the edge rusher out of Minnesota. Um, right now, I would probably say he's a top five tackle in, in the 2022 NFL draft class. I think he's a fringe first round product. Um, but if he holds up against Kayvon Thibodeau, I think he's going to lock himself in a first round conversation for pretty much regardless of what happens the rest of the season, just because, I mean, that that's an NFL starting pass rusher. So to bring Nicholas Petit Frere into this conversation as well, since you've already brought his name up, we're talking about ceiling with Thayer Munford being that he is a four year starter and an older guy. This is Petit Frere's second year as a starter and fourth year in the program. Pretty normal for what off- offensive linemen are, especially tackles. 
how much can those two games back to back help raise his profile like, as a younger guy who we saw came along as a former five star prospect last year? Yeah, I mean, I think he's kind of in the same boat there. And I think the recruiting stuff really does help, too, just because it's, you know, it's interesting. We saw it with Davis Mills, the Stanford quarterback this past season. I mean, he did not play well in college football, but he's a five star recruit. The tools are there. Teams like that and teams still do like that. But, you know, Nicholas Petit Ferrer, he's actually producing. He produced this past season. And if he can hold his own against some of that stiffer competition that they're going to see early on in 2021, then I think he's going to put himself in that same conversation because, you know, like I was talking about um, with Thayer Munford, I mean, he was fantastic on his one-on-ones, his true pass sets, again, which are the most stable aspects of the position. Um, he was a top 10 tackle in terms of pass block rate on those reps. Um, and, and so, you know, he, he did kind of struggle against Alabama just a little bit. Um, but, you know, I'm expecting big things out of him. And if he can hold his own too, I, I think he's going to be pretty much in that same conversation. And again, NPF number nine on your list of tackles. So again, for Ohio State to have two of the top 10 tackles in college football coming back in, uh, in 2021, pretty, pretty good for the Buckeyes that, uh, you know, I think, I think, I, again, Anthony, the idea that we're influenced by recruiting rankings, just on a list like this, I think I would have said, I think I probably would say, okay, I guess I think maybe Thayer Munford played a little bit better than NPF last year, right? But then I, but he's the five-star guy. He's the guy, like, he's such an athlete. He's had to add weight, but he's so, like, kind of long and lean and that kind of thing that I still didn't know, like, on a list like this of, like, oh, well, who will be higher, NPF or, or, or Thayer Munford? This helped me. I, I'm gushing, Nathan and Steven. I'm gushing. I just wanted, I just wanted help. It's like a life preserver. It's like I do this for my job. I cover Ohio State. I don't, but I don't know how to evaluate the own the players that I see every day. Is it as you went into this, the difference between one and nine, right? That Munford's one and NPF is nine. You know, is there is there a little bit of a gap there in your mind? Are they pretty close? You know, like, is it, you know, they're all in the top 10 or, or when we talk about those two guys sort of compared to each other, is there anything that really separates them? Yeah, I mean, there certainly is. I, I think, you know, I, I do think Thayer Munford's kind of, like I said, holding that top spot pretty comfortably. And then I would say there's another tier of four or five guys. And then uh, number, I would say seven through, you know, 10 on that list is in another tier there. And I think what separates them is that Thayer, Thayer Mumford was so, so, so much better in the run game. I mean, he was just more consistent, making better plays, avoiding negatives. Um, and two, like I said, that Alabama game, you know, he was great in that in, in anything, whether it was, you know, run blocking, pass blocking, he was fantastic. Nicholas Petit Ferrer, that was the game he really did kind of struggle. And that's what kind of, I think, kind of separated them too, in my eyes, because he only allowed four pressures all year long, but three of them came against, you know, Alabama and they were all quarterback hits. And, you know, Alabama, that's that's NFL caliber, you know, defensive lineman there. So I think that's what really separated them there. I, I think there is a chance this this upcoming season that they could kind of get, you know, pushed closer together. Um, but, you know, I think I would be pretty, pretty shocked if, you know, ni- neither of them were in the top 10 at the end of the year when we come back and reevaluate and do this again at, by the end of the season. Um, they just showed too much to, you know, really convince me otherwise with their pass protection. Um, but of course, with Nicholas Petit Friere, it's that Oregon game I'm looking forward to seeing those reps against Thibodeau if he gets them. Um, and also the run, improvement in run blocking. And given it was his first full year, kind of kind of full year with an asterisk starting um, along the offensive line, I think we're going to see more growth. So I'm excited to see him kind of you know grow and develop here as in, as he goes into this season. All right, that's the tackles. I'm satiated. Oh, I feel good. Burden has been lifted. I'm going to use. I'm going to be writing things for like the next seven months. And I'm going to be, they say, well, Anthony Tresh said Thayer Munford's number one tackle in the country. And this is why it's like, this is, this is content. I'm going to write 50 stories about this. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the two guys on the defensive side of the ball for Ohio state that made the top 10 on Anthony's lists. We'll do that next on Buckeye talk. All right. Back on Buckeye talk, Doug, Nathan, Steven, along with Anthony Tresh of PFF. Make sure you try our tech subscription, 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial. Two defensive guys. Nathan, who are you more intrigued by? We have Haskell Garrett on this list. We have Tyreek Smith on this list. What's more interesting to you, Nathan? I think it's Haskell Garrett just because he's number one overall on the defensive tackle list, the interior defensive line list. And 
he obviously he was a guy who had a, a breakthrough season last year. And Anthony, you could talk about Garrett in, in specifically, but I also kind of wanted just when guys like this come up and you guys are evaluating these players once in a while, a name like this is going to pop up and it'll be somebody you guys hadn't really heard of. So how uh, it's more of, I guess, a process question, but like you, you guys know how influential PFF is and it seems like you guys put a lot of trust, a lot of faith in your own evaluations and, and really stand by those. So uh, maybe you can kind of see what I'm asking here. Like, how do you, what is the difference between like when you're watching guys and, and somebody showing up and maybe it doesn't jive with their reputation or, or things like that. How do you know when to, to like fully go with that and, and trust the ranking? When do you trust your eyes, which I guess is sort of the same thing. How, how does that process play out? Yeah. And you know, it's all about looking at the data. I, I for, for my process, I always look at the data first, and so I don't go in really blind. And then I kind of find out what's happening, you know, after the fact. I watch them and kind of grasp everything there. Um, and that, I think that's the beauty about PFF and why I love working for this company is that, you know, we're, we don't really conform to groupthink. And, and even within the company, we have our own individual ideas, but they're well-rounded with both, you know, film and data. And that's why when it comes draft time, we, there are some prospects that we are majorly different on than the broader consensus. Um, and with someone like Haskell Garrett, he was really the only one, you know, th this interior defensive lineman group is one of the weaker ones. I think we're going to see some guys break out. Um, but out of all of them, Haskell Garrett, uh, Jermaine Lowell of Arizona State, those are the only the, the two guys that I'm really confident in going into next season. Um, and those, those guys are the number one and number two there. And Haskell Garrett in particular, he was the only one to really kind of produce at a pretty like elite level this past season that's returning uh, almost on that Christian Barmore type level. And, you know, there were people were saying, you know, Christian Barmore really didn't perform, you know, up to, up to his standards. Um, I mean, he still was the best, hands down the best interior defensive lineman in college football last season. It just wasn't the Quinn and Williams type of dominance that many people were expecting. Um, but Haskell Garrett was right there with them. And after that, there was a pretty comfortable gap between him and everyone else. Um, and so when you stack up his data to everything and you go back and watch him, you can see the dominance is there. I mean, when you have, you know, his a, a pass rush win rate of his nature, and you see the force that he brings. I mean, he was just, you know, wreaking havoc left and right. You know, he has incredibly heavy hands, which I mentioned in the article. I, I was just really impressed with what he did from a pass rushing perspective. It was just consistent. Um, and that's why he went, went up there against number one. But also you have to consider, you know, kind of the environment and ecosystem that they're in because, you know, because that the Ohio State defensive front was just absolutely loaded. And we also classify too, you know, I think something within the data that can kind of get, you know, misperceived is, you know, pressure totals, for example. And I think a good thing to do that is kind of finding out how did that pressure come to be? Was it the quarterback's fault and they kind of ran into him and that's how they got the sack? Was it unblocked or whatever it was just to clean up? Um, or did they actually win? Was it a quick rep or was it a long developing play? I mean, and you, all of our grading kind of carries that in and boils it in down together and it kind of helps us, you know, recognize the type of impact they're making. And Haskell Garrett, he was a, a big time impact maker, despite being along this defense, a loaded defensive front on a consistent basis. So that actually kind of leads into my next question, which was another guy that I think PFF was pretty high on last year was Tommy Togiai. He was another guy who had a, a breakout season for Ohio State. Those guys worked in tandem, obviously. And now Tommy Togiai is gone. He's in the NFL. So how do you, when you're evaluating players, how do you take that into account? Like the guys that they're lining up next to, when those guys are having elite seasons, there would seem to be some crossover there. Because that's one of the big questions for Ohio State fans right now is, well, now that Tommy Togiai is gone and Ohio State doesn't have an obvious pure nose guard to replace him, what does that mean for Haskell Garrett? Yeah, I mean, that's a very good question. And that's kind of the unknown factor that's into it. You kind of just have to, you know, look at the plays that were on there and look at the the type of, you know, their best guess of what the role kind of was there in the situation at hand. And I do think, you know, there there is a chance that we could see Haskell Garrett take a minor step back because of that situation. I mean, for example, one situation that always arises, the Los Angeles Rams at the NFL level, Aaron Donald, does not matter who's next to them, they're going to have good success. They're going to have a lot of good stats because Aaron Donald's on the same line. And when you're in college football and you have this loaded defense front, it, it can look like that too. Um, but like I said, going back and looking at what Haskell Garrett did, I, I don't think it's going to, I'm not as concerned, you know, as some, some others might be. Um, I still think he did a lot of his fair share on his own, despite there being, you know, obvious talent around him. 
And I think no matter what, no matter who's around them in 2021, I think we're going to see similar um, success. But like I said, if anything, it would be a minor drop back there. But that is, that is a very good question. And it is something that you, we do weigh and take into, take into account um, no matter what it is, whether it's, you know, it's college football draft or NFL um, on a yearly basis. You mentioned uh, Tyreek Smith is number nine in your rankings. Zach Harrison is not in the rankings of the top 10. Any, how do you compare those two and what I guess would, as an evaluator, what do you still want to see from Zach Harrison that puts him in that same kind of category? Yeah. You know, this one was really tough. I, you know, I, and I was going back and it's like a, after uh, I, I would say like the middle of the pack of that edge group, there's just maybe like 15 guys that are just like right there lumped together. And eventually, um, like you said, Tyreek Smith ended up getting in there. Um, and I think it was just more of the sample issue. I thought he, he made a more of an impact. He had a higher pressure total there. Zach Harrison, you know, he did flash some incredible reps, but I think we just need to see it on a more consistent basis. Um, you know, you go back to what he did. He only had, you know, one elite graded game this past season against Michigan State. Um, and I think we just need to see him on the field more before we can get a little bit more confident and kind of projecting him there. Some of the other guys in that top 10 had more reps in there. And, and so that's why we kind of put, you know, Tyreek there ahead of him. But I think it's kind of splitting hairs at that point. It, it's very, very close. You know, another one on there, I mentioned Boye Mafe earlier. He was one that was close. Um, you know, George Karloftis of Purdue, he was close on there too. Some of these Big Ten guys. So, I mean, it's a very interesting edge group in the Big Ten. I think they're all kind of lumped together. And I'm not sure we're going to see just a clear cut, you know, winner kind of emerge from that group. Again, just to, to be clear that Haskell Garrett is number one on the interior defensive line guys on edge rushers. Tyreek Smith is nine. Zach Harrison was not in the top 10. When you look at Tyreek Smith, like that pressure rate, some of the other things, he's been a guy, he hasn't been hundred percent healthy. Some of his seasons here, he was a highly pedigree guy when he came in here. Is there stuff in the data or in the film that you think, more he could there's more there for him like how how good are, is he data wise as a as a pass rusher yeah and i think the more that we see of tyreek smith i think the more he can climb i think you know some of these guys um that, that are in that pack too i'm not as confident in them being able having the ability to climb up this list but i think tyreek smith can a, a pretty good deal um with more reps there you know he's another one i, I just still want to see more reps from tyreek smith but like with the data like you said he came in was, you know, highly, you know, sought after, highly thought of uh, recruit um, back in 2018. But the data was just exceptional from what we have seen from him. And you look at his traits, too. I mean, you pair those together and you just he's only really scratching the surface of what he can become. And I failed to mention Aiden Hutchinson earlier. I think he's the clear cut guy and I think he will be. Um, but I think Tyreek Smith, he is one that could possibly climb into the top five. Um, I think those top four on the edge group list is pretty well defined as far as the entire country goes, which was Nick Benito of Oklahoma, Kayvon Thibodeau of Oregon, Marvin Leal of Texas A&M, and then Aiden Hutchinson of Michigan. But he can sneak in there in that top five for sure. Um, you, you look at, you know, like the data, like I said, he had a 25% pass rush win rate, uh, which was the fourth highest in the FBS. And you look at his traits, like I said, he can attack with quickness, win with power. It, there's just a lot to like about him. And, and so I'm, I, I'm expecting him to get into that elite tier uh, eventually. Um, and, you know, that's, that's something too, is that some of these guys like a Demetrius Taylor of App State, he's on here, or Brenton Cox of Florida. You know, I, I'm not as confident in those guys kind of, even though they're in that same group at the tail end of the top 10, I'm not as confident in those guys being able to jump into that elite tier of that handful, that top five that, that I can say are really, you know, the, the game records. Tyreek Smith, on the other hand, I think he can get there. All right. Chris Olave, number one, Garrett Wilson, number two. We are having a discussion about Ohio State having the two best receivers in college football, and Steven's feelings are still a little bit hurt. Steven, the floor is yours. I guess the first place I want to start with with this line of questioning, because you kind of mentioned it when we were talking about Thayer Munford and Nicholas petit Frere and what kind of separated them in a year where they were pretty solid. You mentioned the Alabama game. So with Garrett and, and Chris, it's clearly split, splitting hairs. I think no matter whose list it is, those are probably one and two, and people flip-flop between who it is, depending on who's writing the article. For you, how much did that Big Ten championship game against Northwestern, when Chris Olave wasn't out there and it was clear Garrett Wilson wasn't having his best performance as a college football player, how much did that matter when you're trying to split hairs between two guys who are maybe 1A and 1B, regardless of what order you want to put them in? 
Yeah. And, you know, it really didn't matter a whole lot. And I think, you know, like you said, these guys are the clear cut top two guys. I, I think no matter what, I, I would be pretty, pretty surprised if we go into the 2022 NFL draft and these guys are number one, number two taken, they should be. And I think the reason why, um, you know, we had Chris Olave here above Garrett Wilson is because Chris Olave did most of his work winning on the outside against single coverage. And, you know, Garrett Wilson did do a good job against single coverage, but, you know, Chris Olave just saw it more often. And he was more well-polished around it, more experienced. And that's why we have him there at number one. But again, these, these two guys are elite caliber players. I mean, they're separation getters. What Brian Hartline's done at Ohio State, some of the best coaching work that I've ever seen. I think, you know, more people need to be talking about him just because he's been, he's just breeding route runners out there. I mean, these guys are well-polished in that regard. You don't really see that at the collegiate level, you know, multiple guys on one team. Um, and, and so these two guys are top, you know, easily the top two guys. Um, but the reason I had Chris Olave there, just because he's doing most of the work on the outside, Garrett Wilson does a good job finding soft spots against zone, did, did show a lot of flashes, great reps against single coverage, but Chris Olave has just done it a lot more. So maybe this is maybe a weird way to ask this question, but I mean, being in the slot is usually looked at as the more dangerous receiver. We were, I mean, all giddy when we found out he was going to be in the slot. Does that hurt him in these types of evaluations? Because it is more about finding soft spots in the zone instead of, you know, single coverage a lot more of the time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's definitely interesting. And that's what makes it a hard evaluation. Cause I mean, I remember when Justin Jefferson was coming out, that was one of the most difficult ones just because, you know, we, it was hard to kind of get your, your feel around it just because when he was on the outside the year before, you know, it's where he was, he didn't really have a whole lot of success. You know, he struggled to get off press man coverage, moved inside of the slot, almost all of his production, finding those soft spots over the middle of the field. Um, and you're kind of thinking, you know, is he really this type of elite talent? Come to find out he is. He, he did grow up. We just really didn't get to see the opportunities there. Um, with Garrett Wilson, you know, it's just, you know, finding those opportunities that we did see. But with him, there's we haven't seen any indication that he cannot win on the outside on a consistent basis. And so with these slot receivers, you know, you just want to see those flashes that they can actually do it. And they can do both at a high level and have success. And he is one of those guys. And, and that is a very good point. And that's something that always comes to mind, especially I know Mike Renner, when he evaluates these guys for the draft, that's one thing he always looks at. You know, what is, what is their reps coming against? Have they ever shown they can win? on the outside against single coverage um, with Garrett Wilson. He has shown that from time to time. So how do you nitpick Chris Olave then in this type of situation where, you know, if that's the difference between the two, what is maybe that Garrett, what does Garrett have maybe that Chris doesn't? Yeah. Well, the one thing with Chris Olave that, you know, that in the offense by design doesn't really help sometimes um, is just the after the catch opportunities. You know, he, he has never been very good after the catch, but at the end of the day, the guy's winning, getting open downfield. And so it doesn't really matter. Uh, and so I, I think um, that that's the biggest qualm that we really have with Chris Olave. And that was kind of the big knock on him last in this last draft process when we thought he was going to come out and surprisingly he ended up coming back. Um, and, but you know, with next year's draft class, I think he's probably going to be the top guy if it's not Garrett Wilson. And so I think that's probably the biggest issue there, but it's a minor one at, at this point, I would say. In trying to put Chris Olave in context a little bit, let's say like if Rashad Bateman, was coming back this year in the Big Ten, or if Olave had gone out. Like, I, I think if Olave had gone into the draft, okay, he's not Jamar Chase, he's not Jalen Waddell, he's not Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith. I would have guessed probably that Olave would have been in that next group, though, right? With Bateman, with Tony, with guys like that. I don't know, maybe, maybe Bateman's not a good comparison, but I'm just looking for a little context of maybe Olave as a, as a draft pick. And do you think Olave could get to... Devontae Smith level kind of the way he's viewed. Could he be a top 15 pick? I'm just looking for more Olave context. Yeah, for I, for sure. And I think he would have been probably a talent of the first round, if not early second, um, if he had come out this season. But I think now he has a real deal potential to be a top 15 pick. And I'm not so sure about top 10. It's pretty, it's pretty murky right now just because of the whole quarterback situation too, right? I mean, there's a lot of hype around a lot of guys. Um, I, I think realistically, there's probably going to be maybe two that are taken in the top 10 as far as quarterbacks go. So I do think there is a, a real chance Crystal Lobby could even get a, a, into the top 10. Um, you know, it, but it, it's going to be interesting. I don't think he's going to be a Devonta Smith Heisman winner. I don't think he's that caliber of a receiver, but make no mistake, this guy's really talented. He's an elite player, can separate better than anyone that I've really seen over the last few years. 
And so I think that's what's giving him the best chance of really sneaking into the top 10. But I think right now he's probably a top 15, easily top 20 guy. And if Renner loves Garrett as much as Steven loves Garrett, we, I think, and please tell us if we're wrong because we love to have people come on and tell us that we're wrong. I think our default position is that maybe Olave is like a little smoother, right? A little more of like a deep thread or whatever, but Garrett is maybe a little more explosive or dynamic. Is that right? And if so, does that maybe lead us to think, okay, well, maybe Olave is not a top 10 guy, but maybe, maybe Garrett Wilson is. Is that how, how are we viewing this? Yeah, that's, those are definitely fair points right there. All, all of them are. And I will say, I will give you guys a little sneak preview of the unreleased big board for 2022, the early one that will be in the draft guide. He does have Garrett Wilson ahead of Chris Olave. And so from a college football perspective, I have Chris Olave ahead of Garrett Wilson. But as far as draft goes, I think there is a, an argument to be had there that Garrett Wilson is the better guy. And he actually has him 11th as of right now. Um, Chris Olave is in the top 20 in there. Um, but those guys are the top two receivers in that group. And I, I do think, you know, if I had to bet on it, if I could bet on it, I would put my money on at least one of them being a top 10 pick. I, I think there is a good chance as of right now that does happen. But also it is going to be dependent on the quarterback situation at Ohio State. You know, I, there's obvious talent there, but I'll, there's also the unknown. You know, they never they haven't had unknown. They didn't have unknown this past season with Justin Fields. You know what you were getting after the year before. Um, and so it's going to be interesting to see kind of how that all kind of evolves. But I would also be surprised if, you know, CJ Stroud doesn't end up being just, you know, this really talented, you know, Heisman caliber type of quarterback. So if everything goes well there, I think definitely one of them will end up a top 10 guy. I think both of them, you know, have a pretty good chance to land in the top 20, top 15. There's one guy I do want to talk about who's not, he didn't make this list, but I, I think it's just maybe how, how difficult it is to evaluate him. And that's Jeremy Ruckert. Cause we do kind of live in this Ohio state bubble. So we know what his talent level is, even if he's never going to be used as such an Ohio state's offense. So can you just talk about the difficulties when you have a guy where when he does get used, it's pretty loud and he makes these plays, but it might only happen four or five times a year. And so can you just talk about the difficulties of evaluating a guy like that and why he's left off of a list like this? Yeah, and I will say, the Ohio State faithful, they, they were very, very upset that he was not in the top 10 tight ends. I was very surprised. I was like, I thought I was, I thought you guys would be all happy. You would love PFF if we had the top two receivers, two tackles in the top 10. No, they were ready to come over to Cincinnati at PFF headquarters and bang down the door. Um, and like you said, it's just because we haven't really seen enough. The guy only has, I think, just over 30 targets for his career. But like you said, when he, when he does – produce i mean it's a it's a pretty big moment like in the playoff against clemson we had a great game um 90.8 receiving grade that game um but you know he just really wasn't productive as a receiver didn't really get utilized in that you know as much as we'd like to see and that's why we really didn't have him there and when he wasn't you know uh protect pass protection or run blocking it wasn't you know the the best you know compared to some others too so it, it wasn't really a trump card that we could place him in the top 10 you know, maybe with someone like a Tommy Trimble, you know, if we did this, you know, last year, he was in the conversation for the top 10, didn't end up making it just for that reason. Yeah, because that was kind of a trump card there, even though he wasn't used much as a receiver with Jeremy Rucker, you know, the talent's there to become like the top guy. Um, but, you know, you look at some of these other tight ends, you know, like um, like a Charlie Kohler of Iowa State. He has just incredible production over the last few years, consistent game week after week. Um, someone like Isaiah Likely, Coastal Carolina. I mean, there's just so many other guys that we couldn't put Jeremy Ruckert ahead of just because even though we know the talent is it, it, we kind of think it is. We don't really know. There's still some question marks. Um, you know, he has a possibility of banking it there. There's just too many guys that have proven it week after week that we, we couldn't really place from the top 10. Anthony, was there anybody else that was on the cusp of making it from Ohio State or anybody else that uh, uh, surprised you, impressed you as you were doing these evaluations and, and, and that you have your eye on for this coming season? Yeah, you know, I wouldn't say – I would say they impressed me about a year ago, eh? but they really kind of made me question them this past season. That seven banks, the corner. Um, I thought he was remarkable on a small sample, you know, playing behind Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett. I thought he was going to be one of the biggest breakouts of this past season, but he really struggled. You know, I was really surprised. He just kind of looked like a different player when he was out there. You know, his, his uh, press man skills just really weren't the same that he flashed the year before. Um, and, you know, he is starting to get some first round hype. I, I've seen from various outlets that he might 
I, I saw, I think, one have him as a top 10 pick. I was really kind of surprised because, you know, the traits are there for him to be great. He can be another great Ohio State cornerback. Um, but last season was just kind of really ugly and concerning. And so he was one that I almost thought about. You know, I've also added a sleeper to all of these top 10 lists. He was in, I almost, you know, ended up writing him up for the sleeper just because I think, you know, the potential's there for him to be a top 10 guy. But at the end of the day, I wouldn't be surprised if he's not even anywhere close and he's kind of middle of the pack in the Big Ten just based off this last season. Just really was not what we were expecting to see. Um, and so that is a little bit of a concern, but he's the one I'm probably looking and watching the most on Ohio state that didn't make uh, any of these top 10 lists. All right. Six Buckeyes made the top 10 list. That's tied for the second most for any team behind only Alabama. So listen, people give Anthony a break. He put six Buckeyes in the top 10. Quit bothering him about record. Anthony PFF is a great resource for journalists. It's a great resource for fans who care about this stuff. It's one of those things you can just dive in and sort of get lost in a lot of these fun stats um i love analyzing football this way just tell the good people how they can follow you how they can follow your work if they want to you know read more about pff what they can do yeah so you can hit me up on twitter at pff underscore anthony and over at pff.com we have all of these lists with the write-ups there and i can't definitively say when but we will have our second um pff college preview magazine previewing all the power five teams and in depth we have probably eight to nine pages on every single team going in on their top target, top defensive player and quarterback in the scheme. Um, so we'll have that sometime this summer. Be on the lookout over at PFF.com and there will be a lot more data that you'll see there. And you can also get the subscription too. And we added more features to it over at PFF.com, the premium stat features with all kinds of stuff. You can read about the Buckeyes. You can see why we can't have Jeremy Ruckert there because the yards per hour run is just not good enough. Yeah, we a lot of your college coverage is free. A lot of the college content is free, it seems like. But for a while last year, we were paying for the the numbers, and um, I was pretty impressed by how enlightening some of them were. Um, or it, it was great to just kind of make you – it challenged some of your preconceptions about certain players. Yeah, no, I can't recommend it enough. I can't recommend PFF enough. I can't recommend Anthony enough as a follow. Um Again, I know everybody listening to this, if you listen to this podcast, you love Ohio State, but you crave context. You know they're good. You get sick of us talking about the same stuff all the time. You've got to put them in the context of everybody else that matters. And Anthony Tresh at PFF is one of the best guys around to do that. Anthony, we know you're busy. We know you have more than one team to cover, but we are so grateful for your time. Thank you so much for joining us on Buckeye Talk. Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks to Anthony Tresh for that. Um, what jumped out to you guys, right? I mean, we know the rankings to recap receiver position in all of college football, Chris Olave, one Garrett Wilson, two interior defensive lineman. That's defensive tackles in all of college football, Haskell Garrett, one edge rushers in all of college football, Tyreek Smith, nine offensive tackles, all of college football, Thayer Munford, one Nicholas Petit Frere, nine. What Anthony said, Nathan, the rankings in general, where guys are ranked, where guys aren't ranked. You know, we talked about Ruckert and Banks. What what was the most interesting thing to you? So there was a juxtaposition in the things he was talking about that I, I almost brought. I think he brought it up in passing. He's talking about how Ohio State has the number one offensive tackle in the country by their rankings and the number nine offensive tackle on the other side. And then he starts listing off Kayvon Thibodeau, George Karloftis, Aiden Hutchinson, um, Boya Mafe. Like, Ohio State is going to face a – plethora of of guys up front who are going to come after this young quarterback and it, i think it whether they're ranked one or nine whatever i think it just emphasizes how good those guys are going to have to be this year to protect against the schedule ohio state's going to play it's scattered throughout the schedule you got some of the best edge rushers in the country and it is interesting of all you know not of all the things the big Ten's a good football conference the big Ten's a good football conference they are better at some things than others they often have good edge rushers like that is not ohio state always does but other schools do too you know michigan has some of those guys penn state has some of those guys purdue has a guy right that's we've seen that before and so that is an important thing i mean it's like we can go into a rabbit hole maybe this is a separate podcast it's like Who's actually more important to this Ohio State season, the two receivers or the two tackles? I mean, it's like that's not what we're doing today because that probably is a podcast we can do later. But it is fascinating to think about because they are going to be tested. Steven, what was the thing that you really grabbed onto from that conversation? 
I love this explanation for why Chris Olave was ranked higher than Garrett Wilson on that list. Quite, quite frankly, it's it, what they what it, he showed what they value at PFF. They value the one on one coverage over the outside versus, you know, just being able to sit down in the slot and then catch and go. Now, he did. Yeah, I asked him, I asked him to nitpick Chris Olave. And he, I think he had the same opinion that we have. And that's that what Chris Olave does after the catch is usually his problem. But he's so great getting down the field and catching those deep balls and stuff like that. But. I just thought uh, the way that we all look at the slot receiver in today's football game and how dynamic that kid is, no matter what team you're talking about, they seem to not care about that. That's not what's most important to them. What's most important to them is what happens when you're going one-on-one. And then if that's how you're going to value it, then yeah, Chris Olave should be over Garrett Wilson in that instance. And I think that's how you have to look at any list. Cause I, that's, I kind of preface the question with those two are going to be number one and number two on everybody's list. The order might change, but it's just going to show what you value in a wide receiver, whether you rank Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson, number one. And I invited him to tell us that we were wrong, but boy, does it warm my heart when he kind of agrees with what we've been saying all along. But the differentiation of the shorthand of maybe Chris Olave is a slightly better college football receiver, but Garrett Wilson is a slightly better NFL draft prospect felt like, yes, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, kind of what we think. Thank goodness that he didn't come on and say, well, no, you guys have had it backwards every time you've talked about these two guys for the last six months. Steven, like that's not, that's not comprehensive. It's much more detailed than that, as you kind of got into. But that's mm-hmm. a nice little shorthand that I think is – it's not an insult to either of them, but I think is maybe a fair way to think about it. And it's easier to do that at wide receiver than I think it is with other positions as we were going through it, right? I mean, we talked about, you know, Nicholas Petit Frere's the five star, while, you know, Thayer Munford's more, you, you said it. It's like I look at him like I look at Pete Warner. He was a guy in the 200s who has clearly been better than everything I've ever thought of him. In that situation, it's, it's it's questionable who's the better NFL prospect right now. And it's probably Thayer Munford. It's the same thing when Nathan brought, brought up the Tyree Smith and Zach Harrison comparison, where one's the five-star and one's another top 100 recruit, where it's, it's, it, it's questionable right now who's the better NFL prospect. With wide receivers, especially because they've spent last year playing two totally different positions, he compared it to Jeff, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. It's easier to say which one is better at each, each level of football. Nathan, I did think in the Zach Harrison conversation, right? And we've had, we've kind of obviously had a lot of Zach Harrison conversations at times questioning him, right? How good, you know, like, why isn't he a breakout guy yet? And then I felt like at some point we got like, well, maybe we're questioning him too much. Like he's a good football player, but that he said he only had one grade last year where he graded like at an elite level, right? That's what he said about Zach. I I thought, I thought that was interesting that like that, that again, confirmed a little bit. Listen, we're not, we don't only have guests on to confirm what we blather on about here, but if it accidentally happens that a little bit confirmed of like, he's good. He's good. He's been good. He hasn't been bad. He's been good, but I don't know that he's been elite all that often. And now what we talked about all spring anticipating hearing about maybe there's an elite jump coming, coming, but Nathan, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, he sounded like a, a time-tested Buckeye Talk panel member uh, with that description because I think that's how we've talked about Zach Harrison this whole time. And for people who are maybe unfamiliar, we did a whole episode last year talking about the PFF grades, and they're they're sort of bell curvish in nature a little bit. And those elite grades, it's like that some portion of the country gets that blue color of the elite grades. So it's not just one or two plays that are going to separate you when you're talking about 100 and however many FBS teams there are right now. Like it's you have to be consistently good to separate and get those really high grades like what he's talking about. That's going to put you in this sort of top 10 conversation. So I think, though, the other thing that he did mention, though, was like he flashed it at times. It's just only one one game where he was that consistent. So Zach Harrison, he basically said, I think, the exact same thing Zach Harrison would have said if he was sitting here. And the same thing Zach Harrison did say when we talked to him on a Zoom call a couple months ago, whenever that was now, that I I know that I've flashed it. I think he even used the term flash because he's read it a thousand times from all the people who cover Ohio State. And he's probably heard it from his coaches. Like he knows what he's flashed. It's about like instead of that being like a, what, like a strobe light or whatever that's turning on and off, it's got to just be like a blinding light this year. He's got to find a way to turn it on and keep it on. And I do think we talked about the PFF rankings a lot going into the draft. Like, and, and as Anthony said, they stick by their evaluations. They are not afraid to be outliers. They had Justin Hilliard as a top 100 player and Justin Hilliard 
barely got drafted, right? And we sort of talked about before the draft of like, all right, they have Justin Hilliard as the 87th best prospect in this draft. And that sounds crazy to us, but they stood by it. I, I don't know. There was nothing here, right? Steven brought up, which was a, a point that had to be made. Hey, no Rucker in the top 10, but I thought his explanation made sense. I was a little surprised that Haskell Garrett was the number one defensive tackle, but as he said, it's not a hugely great defensive tackle class, right? There's not the next Aaron Donald. I don't think in college football that we know of right now, Steven, there wasn't anything to me in any of these that seemed like way outside the realm of what I would have thought. Uh, maybe Rucker in the top 10, you know, he gave a good seven banks explanation. I may be a little surprised that Munford and Garrett were that high, but I thought a lot of this stuff as, as we, what we think about Ohio state, I think a lot of it sort of fit what we already thought. Yeah. I think Rucker just might get out of here and we never really know how good he is or isn't until he gets drafted. I think that's just the place he's going to have to live as a really talented tight end. Who's not going to get used here. And I loved it. Like PFF's great at putting things in context but to the, you can only put so much in context, right? He said it. He's only had 30 targets in his career. You can't try to, you know, you know average that out to make it equal to, like, what would, what would it be if, like, he was getting Kyle Pitts type of reps? You can't do that. And so it's better to just leave him off of there. I respect that. I thought he was rough on seven banks. And I haven't been, you know, the most you know gleeful person when talking about seven banks. I think there's a middle ground between people who are putting him in the top 10 and, and what he had to say about seven banks, but it was interesting and a little refreshing to see somebody go the other way with it in a world where it's like, yeah, he has all the tools and he's also at Ohio state where they're always producing first round corners. He went the total opposite way than maybe what Nathan, me, even you have said about seven banks where you thought he had a pretty solid season. He didn't seem to think that at all. Yeah, and I think it's it's difficult sometimes to like parse someone's language. Like, is he saying? Because he said in 2019, those few snaps that he saw, he thought there was something elite. We keep using mm-hmm. that word. I know it means so many things to so many people, but he thought something great was coming, and then it turned out to be not that. Now, does that mean he thought Seven Banks was like actively bad, or does it mean he thought Seven Banks was like adequate? But it still falls far short of elite. So you're getting into a semantic argument there. Um, I've been, I've, I've been, I've threatened this. Uh, seven banks tape rewatch and I keep getting delayed by other projects, but I I'm, I'm, I've started it and I want to get it done by next week because I'd like to use what he just said along with it, because I think it will help put some perspective on, um, you know, I think a lot of people have jumped on this. Well, he's, you know, he's showing up on these uh, draft boards, these early year away things. So obviously he, we were all like wrong and we all missed something, right? Well, did we, I want to go back and look at the film and, and see what it says. So I also host a podcast uh, every week for on our Browns feed called Gotta Watch the Tape, where Scott Patsko and Ellis Williams join me and I just make dad jokes and they actually analyze football. And Scott really digs in on the numbers and Ellis really digs in on the film. And what we've been doing lately is we've been going through like the Browns uh, draft picks. Like we did a whole Greg Newsom pod. We did a whole Jeremiah Owusu koromoa pod. We did a whole Anthony Schwartz pod. What you're talking about, Nathan, Makes me wonder, and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying we have to break down film the way Ellis does it. And it is a little bit harder to get some of the PFF college numbers compared to the PF NFL numbers, but I'm not so sure we shouldn't pick out this summer, five or six interesting Buckeyes and do like, Hey, we're all going to sit down, watch some film and really talk about like, not just generalities. Cause listen, we're all busy. We don't, I don't think we ever try to blow smoke up anybody's on this podcast and try to tell you and act like we're experts on things. We're not experts on, we're not film experts. We're not. But if we all sat down and said, well, I'm going to watch a couple games of seven banks and just watch seven banks. Like hear you talking about it makes me excited for what you're going to figure out when you do it. And when you write about it, but also makes me want to do it. hundred percent. I think we should do these. I mean, so it's like seven banks is like a perfect guy to do it. But then what if we did like a Harry Miller one? Mm-hmm. And what if we did like uh, a Josh Proctor one, a right? Josh and that literally the name that was on the yeah. tip of my tongue. I'm thinking yeah. of that just because he was in so many different places last year. It's just, I don't know if we have a context of how good Josh Proctor was or wasn't last year. We just kind of said he's probably the answer at two different places. And listen, it's harder in college because the NFL, they have game pass. You can get the coaches film. Anybody can pay to get the coaches film. And I watch coaches film on the Browns all the time. They don't have that for college yet. I have thought if I worked for the big 10, 
maybe we can have a Big Ten employee on. I think the Big Ten should set that up. I think the Big Ten should like how because you college football, the NCAA is not going to do it. If you could subscribe to Big Ten Game Pass and you could get the film, the coach's film, I'd pay for that tomorrow. And guess what? A lot of people listening to this would pay for that. I'm I'm surprised they haven't done it yet. I'll call the offices. Scott Chipman, I'm going to call you and pitch a million dollar idea tomorrow. So, but like we can do it with the, we can still at least do it with the TV film. Now, my problem is I keep switching cable carriers and like we switched from our old cable to YouTube TV. So I record all the games, but then every time I switch, I lose them. So I don't have every game from last year because we, like, we switched to YouTube TV in the middle of last year. YouTube TV died the other night in the middle of the Wizards Celtics game. Steven, are you a YouTube TV guy? Yeah, yeah, and oh, it wow. died. And I, I thought it was just – I have Apple TV, and I thought it was just on that device. And so I tried it on my phone and computer, and it was still acting up. And so I got worried, and then I almost emailed someone and said, so just get it for free for a month since you made me miss a, a playoff game. Yeah, and then it's good. I like it when stuff happens on Twitter, and you just, like, put into the Twitter search YouTube TV, and it's <laughs> yeah. 4 million people at the same time, same – swearing at youtube tv and it's like oh it's not only happening in ohio (laughs) okay it's not me um but so anyway i don't have every game do you save every game nathan do you have every game from last year on your tv right i think i do yeah yeah i should yeah i do as well yeah you both have them okay just put in like a flash drive and send it to me is that how stuff like that (laughs) works anymore i don't even know how it works maybe just you download stuff off of youtube tv because if so i could honestly do that we probably, I don't know, they'll probably sue us. So, yeah, okay. Never mind. You didn't hear we're that YouTube. Selling it. Yeah, that's true. We're not, we're not broadcasting it. We're just sharing it. That's true. So I do think like, I, I'm excited for like the seven banks rewatch, you know, and so, then we could do the Harry Miller and Josh Proctor. We could take mm-hmm. suggestions from people. I think it's a really good idea. I think we should definitely do that because it means I can stop moving it back one day on the budget and move it back like a couple weeks so, instead yeah. of like telling my bosses that it's coming imminently. It can come eventually. No, because I said I mean, we, we, we're, we're getting better and better at this, I think, at, at Cleveland.com. And we want you guys to be consuming us in multiple ways. But it's like to tie in, it's like, well, we're going to do the breakdown. You're going to write about it. We're going to podcast about it. We're going to text about it. We want to, you know, do one set of work and then present it to people in multiple ways. So if you want to be a tech subscriber, great time to do it. Off-season stuff is fun. We're doing a recruiting question five days a week. We're doing a football question seven days a week, 614-350-3315. We are also sort of on the website, not changing, but it's kind of a thing. We've always said, go to cleveland.com slash OSU. We want to brand Buckeye Talk even more. Buckeye Talk is not just a podcast. Buckeye Talk is a lifestyle. So we now want you to go to cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Just type in Cleveland period com you put the little slash i never know if it's a backslash or forward slash it's just a slash you'll figure it out and then b-u-c-k-e-y-e-t-a-l-k buckeye talk just all one word like that and it takes you not only to it's like we have a separate ohio state page but now we have a buckeye talk page which you're going to put some special stuff on there some kind of goofy stuff in addition to like all the great you know stories and that kind of thing we're going to have landing pages there so you will have all the Buckeye Fly Effect podcast on a page so you can find them all. We're going to have a page where you can find all the retalkables on a page. We're going to have a little commercial that we're going to do. So put that in your browser, cleveland.com slash Buckeye Talk. Start going there. And again, we're we're a podcast. We're a website. We're a tech subscription. We're all in one. And we're going to meet up probably on Friday and start uh, maybe filming a little Buckeye Talk commercial that we hope is fun and interesting. So Thanks to Anthony Tresh for that. Please go follow him at PFF underscore Anthony. These guys don't get paid to come on and talk to us, but we're using his information. So check him out. You know, you don't have to subscribe to PFF, but at least give him a shout and see, see what he's doing. Cause he does good work and then make sure you're reading our stuff too. All right, Nathan, do we know what market down Monday is yet? Nope. So it'll be on Monday though. It will be on Monday. I can guarantee you that. And we'll be marking down something. Um, and we have some other stuff planned. We are going to start getting to some retalkables, start getting to some Buckeye fly effects next week. As always, we'll have the uh, Buckeye football futures and all that stuff. Big Wednesday pod. So good week of stuff. Thanks to you guys for joining us. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, And that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>